Welcome to Logical, the UAE's first and still the only regular legal podcast. My name's Tim Elliott, and as always, here's our expert, the managing partner of the Dubai-based legal firm, HPL Yamalava and Pleska, here in Dubai, Ludmilla Yamalava. Nice to see you. Good to see you too, Tim. Thanks for being here. And once again, in this edition of Logical, it's, I suppose, a slightly more quick or quicker fire Q&A approach to the legal issues that we discuss. This time, big news in the UAE legal world, and I mean big news. And we're going to try to take a deep dive into what we know about the recently announced, and this is literally the past week or so, the new alternative end of service scheme here in the UAE. Now, Ludmilla, the UAE's kind of famed probably or praised or revered for its end of service benefit system. And it means that essentially employees have the right to an end of service gratuity at the end of their employment, providing they meet the stipulation of you know minimum time served and other prerequisites. Now, we're seeing the introduction of a new alternative EOS scheme. It's an alternative to the traditional system. So let's start there. How new is this scheme to the UAE and what is it? Um, it is indeed very new. Uh, and as you rightfully said, it was just introduced uh, in October 2023. We are still, as we're recording this, we're still in the month of October. So it truly mm-hmm. is hot off the press. Uh, and I would like to think that we're going to be one of the first ones that are actually breaking the news in at least this level of detail. And what we're talking about here in legal terms is the UAE Cabinet Decision number 96 of 2023, Uh, that is called the Optional Alternative Scheme for the End-of-Service Systems. So that's the legislative authority uh, which introduced this new alternative uh, end-of-service scheme uh, that uh, is the topic of today's conversation. Let's backtrack just very slightly and go through how end-of-service works in the UAE until, or has worked until October 2023, the traditional system. Yes, the traditional system uh, was um, triggered by employees working for at least one year at the company. Uh, and after that, they would accrue, start accruing end-of-service benefits, and those benefits were calculated as 21 days of basic salary for every year of service for employees who have been working for the company for uh, up to five years. And from the sixth year on, uh, those uh, end-of-service would be based on 30 days of employees' basic salary for every year of service. Uh, so in other words, if an employer uh, would have a retained employer for, um, let's say, eight years, that employee for the first five years would would be accruing 21 days of basic salary and for, for the next three years would be or two years, I guess it's from six, six, seven year for the next two years will be 30 days of basic salary for every year uh, of service uh, until they um, resign or are terminated. It's kind of a pension plan for experts. That's kind of how people view it. But uh, Ludmilla, why the change? What are the benefits of introducing the, you know, this alternative scheme at, at a higher level? Uh, For employees in particular, the benefits are that the money will be deposited on a gradual basis uh, with a third party, a professional investment fund. And since it is a licensed investment fund, uh, the theory is that the money is being set aside uh, and along the way on a monthly basis, and it's being kept uh, at a very specialized and licensed financial institutions. So there are four, at least again, the theory is that these um, uh, the money will be saved in a safer and a more secure fashion. Uh, in other words, you know, it is a form of kind of a guarantee for employees. It could, for example, protect employees from the company's bankruptcy. 
so in other words, let's say at the end of the company, the employee worked for the company for eight years and at the end of their employment, now they're entitled to, let's say, 100,000 dirhams in end of service. And at that point in time, the company just does not have the money to uh, pay the employee or even worse, uh, going through bankruptcy or some sort of liquidation. Uh, so um, uh, after eight years of service of that employee, even though the company may want to honor his or her term with the company, they just do not financially are not able to pay out that amount. So the theory of this particular scheme is that it will allow employees to have a sense of comfort and confidence that their money that they're accruing on the monthly basis, on annual basis, or is, or actually is not stored with this company, but rather with a specialized fund, uh, and therefore secure. Uh, so, um, and, and also, there's, that's one benefit. The other benefit is that the fund allows employees to use this system as their own savings mechanism uh, by virtue of being able to make their own contributions into the fund. Uh, so in addition to the money that the company is putting into the fund, employees will also have a choice to use this for what I'd like to think as a fiscal responsibility and have money being set aside on a monthly basis in addition to what they are accruing from the company. So how is it different from the, the traditional end of service system? Uh, so currently, companies accrue end of service on their books. But that is not to say that they have the money in their accounts. In fact, in most cases, companies use money as operating capital. In other words, the company's accrued end of service is more theoretical than actual. Uh, mm -hmm. This is because the law, for example, does not require for that money to uh, be set aside in companies' bank accounts. So the companies do reflect them on the books, uh, but they actually don't have them available uh, at a relevant time. Um, so therefore, at the end of employment, uh, companies may not have enough money to actually pay the end of service, as I gave the example earlier. Uh, and especially to certain employees of um, certain uh, perhaps seniority and length. Uh, so for senior employees with a long term, the end of service amounts could be quite significant. And at the time of their either resignation or termination, the company just in simple terms, may not have that kind of a, amount of money setting uh, set, set aside uh, to pay that employee. Right, I'm with you. So let's get down to the nuts and bolts. First of all, who does this new law actually apply to? Well, first and foremost, it applies to employers. It's employers in the private sector, including free zones. Do you have to do it? Is it, is, is it an optional scheme or is this, from day one, is this a mandatory scheme? Uh, great question. So the alternative system, in fact, is optional and it's optional for employers, at least for the time being. And in fact, the title of this law is that it's optional alternative end of service scheme. However, as soon as the employer makes a choice to subscribe uh, for this particular scheme, then they become subject to, to all of the regulations and terms that are set out in the law and in the fund into which they will be contributing. Uh, and as such, for those employees who are enrolled in the alternative system, the system is considered mandatory. Uh, so in other words, once you have, as a company, opted into uh, this kind of a, a scheme, and then you can choose which employees you want to enroll, and once both the employee and the employer are enrolled, then the system and the laws with all of the terms and conditions become mandatory. Okay, so how do you, I don't know if you call it subscribe or participate, maybe it's, it's either or. 
Uh, well, you do subscribe, in fact. And so at least for the time being, again, the law is very new. It's uh, um, hot off the press. Uh, mm-hmm. So for the time being, what we do know that the law mentions is that employers must submit a request to the Ministry of Human Resources and Amortization, or MOHRE, uh, to subscribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, as we've discussed many times on this podcast, uh, not all companies in the UAE are subject to Mohre. So, for example, companies that are set out in free zones, with the exception of a few free zones right now, are not subject to Mohre. So, therefore, it remains to be seen uh, at this point how employers in free zones in particular will be affected uh, and how they will have the choice to subscribe. Presumably, there will be different options for them to subscribe as this law gets implemented and as it gets rolled out across the country. I mean, it's worth uh, reminding people once again, this is literally hot off the press. And I use that phrase uh, with zero irony. This has just happened. As we record this towards the end of October 2023, we're waiting for more uh, details. Um, Are there different types of contributions you can make? Uh, Yes, indeed. Uh, There are two types of contributions. Uh, So there's a mandatory contribution that is uh, being made by the employers, uh, and it is um, uh, based on the employer's statutory obligation to pay their employees end-of-service benefits. So that's called the mandatory uh, contribution because of its statutory nature. Uh, right. But also there are voluntary contributions, and these are for the employees, which they can opt additionally uh, to um, uh, to set aside as part of the savings plans. What kind of details do we have about the contributions? Can we go into a little bit more detail about mandatory contributions, how they work? So mandatory contributions are those that are made, as I said earlier, by the employers uh, on the monthly basis as part of their end-of-service scheme. And the amount of these monthly contributions depends on, one, the term of employment, uh, and two, the type of employment, whether it is a full-time employment, for example, or part-time or project-based. So for for full-time employees, the mandatory contributions is calculated as 5.83% of the employee's monthly basic salary. In cases where employees have worked for the company for up to five years. Uh, For those employees, however, who have worked for the same company for uh, over five years, the monthly contributions are calculated as 8.33% of the monthly basic salary. And these percentages, by the way, uh, are equivalent to the calculations under the current labor law representing uh, 21 days of basic salary for employees who have worked for less than uh, five years and uh, 30 days for those employees who have worked for Um, six years onwards for the company. Uh, So in cases of part-time employees, and the percentages will be based on the pro rata basic salary as per the UE labor law. Uh, Importantly, employees' end-of-service amounts must be calculated from the start of their employment and not uh, from the date of subscribing into the alternative system. So in other words, let's say an employee worked for a company for um, um, five years and now on year six, uh, the, uh, the company and the employee are, decide to proceed with this alternative uh, end-of-service system. Uh, so the amount to be, uh, to be contributed into the fund on a monthly basis will not be based on 
the, on the day of um, when uh, the party subscribed into this fund, i.e. on that year one, but rather the term and therefore the percentages applied uh, will be calculated from the time the employee started working. So in other words, it will no longer be the 5.83%, but rather 8.33% uh, of the employee's uh, uh, salary uh, for in terms of the company's contribution into the fund on a monthly basis. Okay, so those are mandatory contributions, what you know, companies, employers have to do. But it's also uh, part of this is that this is a voluntary scheme as well, kind of a savings plan, uh, I suppose. Let's go through voluntary contributions and how they could work. So this is for employees, as you rightfully said, a form, and it's a form of savings plan. Right. Uh, employees can make their own contributions on a monthly or annual basis. Uh, and to add to those contributions made by their employers as part of the mandatory contributions. Uh, it can be a percentage of total salary or it could be a fixed additional amount. Uh, and interestingly enough, employers can in fact contribute directly on behalf of the employees uh, by deducting the selected amount from the employee's monthly salary. Or uh, employees can contribute directly into the fund. But uh, employees cannot contribute more than 25% of their total monthly salary. And that's in the, in the event the contributions are made on a monthly basis. Uh, and uh, made on a monthly basis uh, and, and are deducted from the employee's salaries by the company. Okay. So this is going to be, I mean, I'm thinking of the, the size of the just the Dubai economy, where we're sat now, this is going to be a huge pot uh, of money. How does this money get invested? How is the money managed? Who's behind managing you know, this, what will be an enormous fund? Indeed. Um, so the funds, uh, as per the law, the funds are managed by specifically licensed financial institutions, which are called financial managers. And there will be three different types of funds or investments, uh, some of which are optional, while others are not. Okay, so let's just talk through uh, some of the different types of funds or investments. There's a breakdown of uh, the way these funds are named, I guess. Indeed. Uh, so the first one is called the Share Capital Guarantee Fund. And this particular fund is a no-risk fund, uh, which is guaranteed by the paid share capital. Uh, this, by the way, is only optional, uh, is the only option uh, that is available for unskilled workers category. Right. Um, the second fund is the risk varying investment option. Uh, and these type of investment funds of varying risks uh, depend on expected return. And the third one is a Sharia compliant investment funds. Uh, so that's basically the fund that's um, available for all those uh, skilled workers uh, who want to specifically have their savings and have their mandatory contributions uh, paid into a Sharia compliant fund. All right, then. So uh, companies' mandatory contributions, if I understand the law right, uh, by default are deposited into the Share Capital Guarantee Fund. Uh, and for voluntary contributions, skilled workers can choose any of the three investment options? Exactly, yes. So the mandatory right. contributions by default are deposited into the 
um, shared capital guarantee fund, which is the safest fund because it's not subject to any kind of risks or reinvestments. Uh, while for voluntary contributions, this is what the employees will be using uh, for their savings, uh, savings purposes, and and hopefully, uh, at least idealistically, for some sort of additional returns. These voluntary contributions are uh, they're available for skilled workers, and they may choose any any one of these uh, three investment options. Uh, and in the investment options, which carry a risk, by the way, this is quite important, employees are liable for the risks or losses as a result, as one would predict. So it's just like investing uh, on your, in your own be it stocks or any other kind of uh, funds um, that are perhaps more historically more traditional in other countries. And as long as, uh, so therefore, for any kind of losses, only the employees are going to be responsible and not the employers uh, and, and not the fund managers, as long as obviously they do not include the mandatory contributions paid by the employer. Uh, and um, also employees may not make any claims against the employer for these, for these losses. Uh, um, equally so, the fund managers are not liable for the beneficiary's losses unless, obviously, the losses were due to the manager's bad faith, a breach of obliga- obligation, or gross negligence. So, I mean, as with any you know kind of investment decisions, it's a case of caveat emptor, isn't it? It's a case of buyer beware. Um, when does an employee have access to the money? Well, so during their employment, employees may withdraw part or all of their voluntary contributions uh, or uh, the returns of those voluntary contributions, but only in connection with the voluntary contributions, at least as far as the law uh, seems to um, to treat uh, those different types of contributions. Okay. And what happens to all those contributions if employment ends, whether it's a, you know, a termination, a leave, whatever? Uh, so with regards to employees, employees' entitlements to voluntary contribution ends upon the termination of their employment with that particular employer. Okay. Uh, with regards to the mandatory contributions, employees may either withdraw all of their money at the end of their employment, or um, they may keep the funds in the system for as long as they want. And also, there's another option in case of new employment, employer may take, the, the new employer that is, may take the place of the previous employer in the mandatory contribution fund. In other words, the employee may continue on with their uh, fund and their uh, savings in that fund with the new employer by virtue of transferring the account from one company to another. That's for employees. For right. employers, employers may claim back uh, their mandatory contribution if, for example, employment ends before one year. This is important because, let's say, if the company hires an employee uh, once the system is in full swing in effect, uh, and um, uh, and they choose both parties choose to participate in this uh, employment scheme, uh, then the company will start depositing money. Uh, as part of the mandatory contribution for that employee from the first month of their employment. Yet that employee has not yet worked for the full year for the company, which means that if they were to resign nine months into it or terminate it nine months into it, they would not be entitled to those amounts that the, uh, those amounts that the company has been uh, contributing into the fund on their behalf as part of the end of service. So these are the amounts that the company will have a right to withdraw uh, from the account, uh, even though it uh, ultimately that, that's the amount that had been uh, set aside for that particular employee uh, in a specific fund. And then also 
um, employers can, in addition to these amounts, employers may also claim amount that they're legally owed uh, by the employee in which they, for example, from, and they can do this directly by uh, placing a claim against the employee's alternative system uh, saving or investment uh, after the employment ends. So, for example, um, let's say the company had given an employee a loan uh, and uh, then they're either terminated or they resign and they have accrued, let's say, 100,000 dirhams in their uh, in their um, pension plan or in this this alternative pension plan and uh, or and, and or I guess alternative end of service entitlement or a scheme it depends on how you want to call it uh, so um, uh, and then but there was a loan of twenty thousand dirhams so the company actually can uh, can make a claim against uh, these savings in this account to, to the tune of the remaining value of the loan. But it cannot do this automatically. It's not like you can just sort of claw in and and withdraw the money or, or from the account directly. It can only do this on the basis of either the Mohre approval or the court's judgment. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about how the system works in terms of employers or companies' obligations. Uh, yes. So employers uh, who wish to adopt this alternative system have to choose, a, a, first of all, a licensed investment fund. And this particular fund must be licensed under ESCA approval. And so um, uh, that's the UAE's kind of uh, version, if you will, of uh, securities in exchange. Uh, commission. So, uh, so in other words, it has to be a specific fund that's specifically licensed for this purpose. Um, after that, the company will have to identify uh, which employees it wants to uh, uh, to include or invite to participate in this alternative system. And with regards to those employees, uh, companies will have to cease working with the traditional end of service. So let's say if you wanted to hire, uh, if, if you hired me and you wanted to now opt in into this alternative end of service scheme and you wanted to include me uh, being the good employer that you are, uh, you wanted to include me as one of the chosen employees, uh, then we will have to completely switch away from the uh, from the traditional end of service system and we'll only have to operate on the basis of this new alternative end of service scheme, which in short means that you will have to, from that point on, uh, to transfer my monthly or I guess your monthly contributions for me that I'm, I'm accruing on a monthly basis from that point on, and it's no longer optional. And so also importantly, for those employees who want to now subscribe into the alternative system, uh, the, company, the companies may have to, I mean, so may at least will have to calculate how much end of service they have accrued as of that date. And that will have to be uh, clearly stated in the company's accounts. Uh, so for example, uh, let's use, use you and me as an example once again. So you are my employer and on year three uh, the, of my employment with you, uh, you have chosen me to uh, to invite to this uh, this new scheme, and I have already accrued, let's say, a hundred thousand dirhams uh, as my uh, part of my end of service at that point in time. So, uh, you need we need to, to kind of sit down together in simple terms. You need to calculate exactly how much at that point in time I have accrued, and we have to clearly document it. Now, it doesn't seem that as of now that you actually need to de uh, con uh, deposit or transfer that money into this fund. We just need to have a very clear documentation that I am owed that money. Uh, 
And then my monthly contributions, or I guess your monthly contributions towards my end of service from there on will have to be done through this uh, new scheme. But we have it on basically on your books as my employer that in addition to whatever it is that I am accruing through this pension scheme, that I'm also owed that 100,000 dirhams that you have on your books. Uh, so um, that's basically how it works. Uh, and uh, you, and then ultimately when I resign, uh, for example, then or you terminate me, you will have to I will have access to whatever is in the fund, and also you'll have to transmit, pay me the the money that's listed on your books. Uh, and um, uh, another thing that's that's very important, uh, and this is to, to to make very clear to the employers uh, that these sort of monthly payments of the mandatory contributions, which the company, in this case, for example, you, uh, will be making to uh, to the fund, they have to be paid by the company and not deducted from the employee's salary. Uh, and one more thing is that uh, mandatory contributions are not generally refundable uh, to the employer. So other than that one example, where if my employment or my uh, term of employment with you is less than one year, uh, then it's that money is basically the money that you've contributed to the fund cannot be refunded to you under any other circumstances. So those are employers or companies' uh, obligations. What about employees' benefits and, and I guess really employees' rights? Uh, yes, yeah, so employers are entitled to all of their mandatory contributions, including any returns. And uh, they're entitled to receive their end of service uh, within 14 days after the end of uh, their employment. And in the event of employee, this is kind of important, in the event of employee's death, uh, the heirs are also entitled to receive the employee's end of service within 10 days uh, from the date of their death. Right. Uh, also, beneficiaries or heirs can continue uh, continue the investment uh, or withdraw the funds at any time without any kind of restrictions. Uh, but it is prohibited to withdraw mandatory contributions before the employment ends. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the funds that can be utilized to, to offer uh, these kind of service contributions. Yes, so um, they're governed and licensed by what's called the Securities and Commodities Authorities of the UAE or ESCA. Right. Uh, and so this is the uh, this is the authority, the governing authority, which ultimately will uh, license uh, the specific investment funds, which will have the authority uh, to uh, offer these kinds of alternative uh, end of service schemes. Uh, in cases of specific financial free zones, and in the UE we have at least two of them, that's the DIFC and ADGM, the authorities of those free zones uh, will be responsible, and their own financial authorities will be responsible for uh, licensing and regulating uh, those uh, the specific investment funds who will have uh, the license to offer uh, these uh, uh, end-of-service schemes. And they will be responsible for implementing their own regulations, that will apply within that jurisdiction. However, interestingly enough, is that those free zone funds will also then will uh, will have the ability, if they want to extend their services outside the uh, uh, the geographical limits of their free zones, uh, that they will have the ability to also extend those services to other companies, so on broader UAE, uh, as long as they receive the proper Mohre approval and the ESCA approval. 
Can we just quickly summarise the, the key elements, and I, and I guess really I'm looking for the key benefits of this new alternative scheme, but particularly when you consider employees? Sure. So one, uh, for employees, this could be a safer, more secure, and more efficient vehicle to receive the end of service right. without protracted court cases. This is because uh, the funds will be automatically deposited or set aside during their entire employment period and detached from the company's overall financial or legal standing at the time. Uh, also, the funds will be held with third parties, uh, and these parties are specialized in fund management and with whom employees will have direct relationships. Uh, two, uh, employees can use uh, this vehicle as their own savings plan and start setting aside savings on the regular basis. Three, those employees who are interested in also investing can use these funds to invest their voluntary contributions and potentially earn a return on investment. Final question for you. What are the benefits of this new alternative scheme for employers? So for companies, this is a way to exercise their financial discipline, if you will. Uh, companies may uh, not only responsibly budget for these end-of-service payments, but also set them aside gradually, which ultimately will avoid surprises later. And it'll also avoid legal battles in the future. Uh, furthermore, in the future, we'll see how things progress, but... Um, it also may have some tax advantages uh, in the future for those companies who will subscribe. So first look at the upcoming alternative end of service scheme here in the UAE. That's another edition of Logical as ever. Thanks for watching, listening or both. Thanks to our legal expert, the managing partner at Yamalova and Pleska here in Dubai, Ludmilla Yamalova. Thank you for sharing your knowledge again, Ludmilla. Tim, always a pleasure. Thank you for being here. You can find us at LY Law on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, wherever you uh, get your, I guess, social media updates. All of our podcasts are free at lylawyers.com. If you'd like a legal question answered in an episode of Logical or you'd like to talk to a qualified UE experienced legal professional, click on the contact button at lylawyers.com.